Hi everyone, I'm Allie Stone and this is Discovering Hospitality. Now for most of my life, I've worked in the hospitality industry and even more specifically in restaurants. And in the past 15 years of my life, I've been a partner with the Original Joe's Franchise Group here in good old Edmonton, Alberta. And this has been such an incredible experience for me. Honestly, it's been a lifetime worth of learning and living that could have never been taught by any educational institution. And truthfully, it's provided me with the opportunities that I continue to deepen in my career as, as a leader and a coach and an entrepreneur. So if you're listening in and you're in the industry, you know that we have an incredible culture of people, stories, and experiences that don't often get shared with the world. And it's my hope that through this podcast, we can peel back some of the veil of our industry. We can peel back some of the layers of that onion, so to speak, so that the people we love that aren't necessarily a part of this industry can start to learn and see why we all love it so much. Now, this industry is all about people. It's about connection and it's about love. And if you don't love the word love, that's totally okay. Maybe interject the word care, but it truly is about connecting. Now, we have a saying in our organization, and it's that People make the world beautiful. And I've been so lucky to be a part of that for so many years. And now I have this incredible opportunity to share some of the amazing stories of our industry with the world, with all of you, our listeners. It's my mission to help all of you see how incredible hospitality people are and how committed they are to taking care of each other and other people. So without any further delay, let's dive into this week's podcast. This week on Discovering Hospitality, we meet Tom Cox. Now Tom uh, has been a part of our lives for a very long time. Uh, while he's no longer in hospitality, he was a wine expert as he calls himself (laughs) he um, also worked with us at original joe's and he's now the senior incident command system consultant and so he works with um, different leaders in the government now training on how to respond in emergency situations And I believe everything that happened in his life prior to this set him up for this amazing role that I know he's now kicking ass in. Anyhow, Tom imparts a lifetime of wisdom on us in this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I hope you can take away some of the messages that he has to share, because he is an incredible person and lives a beautiful life. Tom, were you born and raised in Edmonton? Yes, I sure was. Uh, there's uh, three three of us that were born and raised in Edmonton, and, and uh, we uh, up until COVID, we would uh, be on display at the Valley Zoo as true Edmontonians. They had a little sign under the. <laughs> but yes, I was born in Edmonton. <laughs> What's your favorite part of being a lifelong Edmontonian? Um. You know, Edmonton is big enough to to uh, have a lot of the the big city, um, you know, things to to see and do. But at the same time, there's still a, a small town feel to it in in many ways. It got <laughs> really big in in my lifetime, and I've been here the whole time. And um, but I would agree. I think people that live in Edmonton are really kind and caring and compassionate. What area of the city did you grow up in? What was your childhood like? Where did you live? Tell me a little bit about that, what that was like. <laughs> well, I was, um, uh, basically, when I was one year old, I uh, the family moved to 69th and Ada. And uh, Ada Boulevard is right along the, the river valley, overlooking the, the river valley in the uh, Highlands, Capilano area. And uh, so we had six kids 
and we would scream off after school and go down into the river valley and and uh, play games and search and explore and light fires and just have a great time. <laughs> I bet. And uh, uh, so we we had a, a great childhood and and uh, we had a lot of pets as well, uh, both natural and unnatural pets. So we had the the dogs and the cats and uh fish and in uh, a turtle and i had a rabbit that was uh trained uh <laughs> it was housebroken and, and trained to come when you called and a schroeder and uh so um we we had a great time as as kids there and then uh when the kaplan or freeway came in um i moved to 53rd and ada and uh my mother still owns the house at 53rd and Ada and uh, looks like my older brother is going to take take over and that's just a, a few blocks away from my place so uh, Ada Boulevard has has always been my my home and you know for for uh, six kids uh, being right by the river valley it was always an adventure very carefree you know like we used to walk to school and mm-hmm. and uh you know, I look at it now and the, the fear of letting a, a child walk to school is just like, wow, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, I think it's partly that transition from very large families, the farm families and, uh, you know, the, the uh, a century ago, you'd, you'd have 12 kids and three would die in childhood and, and yeah. stuff and two would die in farm accidents. And, and so there was a a, a different attitude with kids that have lots and expect to lose some. Whereas now many of the families, it's one child or two child uh, families. And, and uh, so, you know, you've got one child, boy, you're going to bubble wrap them and, and <laughs> watch them like a hawk because you know, that that's it. And, and it really is uh, a, a change. And I, you know, I, I recognize that it's, a difference for for society but it's a bit of a shame you know i go down to the dog park and see a a mother letting the the kids play in the mud by the riverbank and it's just like that is so cool you know like kids can still get into mud and <laughs> it's a thing. Of the river and, and, yeah. and it's a thing and yet you know for for many kids it's just like oh no you can't get dirty and you can't uh, go off on your own and, and stuff boy we i got on the Boston traveled all over the city by myself when I was young. So <laughs> I did too. Yeah. And it's so different. And um, I often think how we had this kind of transition from the front yard to the backyard. And so we used to like when I when I was little too, we used to play on the street in front of the house. Yes. And now you never right. see kids in front of the house. And I often think that's so sad. Cause that was where I met all my little friends and stuff, oh, you know? Exactly. Um, I think we've lost something with that. Yep. With yep. our kids, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> you're you're telling me about this life, about growing up with your six siblings and kind of like how it was just kind of crazy and you guys had a lot of fun and a lot of adventures. As you grew up in this household, I'm sure it was quite busy. Do you remember what some of the defining moments of your life were as you grew up and into your adulthood and some of the things that helped shape who you are now, Tom? Um, you know, that's, that's a tough one because defining moments sort of come and go and you don't realize it. you don't, you don't put it as, oh, that's a defining moment uh there and and so it it uh you know other people may recognize it but many many times you don't um so it was never a a single moment but it was okay as as kids we had sibling fights and and we would chum around with one another and and yet we always had the pets to uh sort of unite us and and entertain us and stuff and I know that that came from my father. He was raised as a only child on a farm. And so dogs were his, his friends. And, and so right. we had dogs uh, uh, as pets very, very early on. And so that's one of the, one of the things that has really defined me is the ownership of, of uh, three dogs and and uh, so you don't realize, okay, you know, the first uh, buddy that I got was by accident. He'd been shunted from house 
to, to home and, and passed uh, around and no one could take care of them. And uh, I got over to my parents' place and here was this extra dog. <laughs> and, and I said, what's this? And well, Ted, Ted, the youngest brother, uh, had a friend who got the dog, but they're moving into an apartment. The apartment won't take the dog and they can't find someone to take it. So they brought it over here, but we can't take it because we've got two dogs already. And I, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll take them for a day or two until you can find a, a place to keep them. And, and uh, all of a sudden that, that becomes a defining moment in, in that. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, the first buddy I had, uh, I think he made it to 17 years of age. Oh, so I had him wow. for 16 years. And, and uh, you know, so, so you know, defining was, was uh, uh, by accident. Yeah. Um, there and um so you know the the as as i go on and i've got to say i had no idea what i was going to do in life and never have um i've always got into things more by accident and so defining moment would be uh my friend roland saying you need a job uh they need help at the government liquor store for christmas and that took me into a, a journey where I became a wine expert and, and uh, a, a national uh, wine consultant uh, there. Um, so, you know, just sort of by accident, you fall into these things. And I, I did work with higher ed student um, for a couple of times. They, they hired me to tell students how to look for jobs. And I would go all over the province telling students how to how to find jobs. And uh, after I finished, um, they said, it's a one-time deal only. You know, we want to put students through as many times as possible and, and give as many opportunities to people. So uh, a couple of years later, um, I ran into one of the, the, the ladies in charge and she said, oh, you know, we're about to hire again. Are you applying? And I said, well, it was a one-time deal. And they said, for you, <laughs> you know what, it'll be a two-time deal. Just get your application in. So I did it again. And we went to a guidance counselor uh, uh, convention and there was hundreds of these guidance counselors and they were talking about how, you know, to tell students where, where to go in their life and what to do and, and stuff. And uh, one of the stupid guidance counselors got up and he said, I've got a question. And everyone sort of looks at him and he says, how many of you knew that you were going to be a guidance counselor when you became a teacher? And out of the hundreds and hundreds of people there, maybe three hands went up. And he said, and we're going to tell students how to, you know, run their life. And, and I just howled. I thought that was great. And, and, and that, that's one of the things that sort of stuck with me is that life is too random and, and there's too much chance and too many opportunities and too many limitations for everyone to say, you're going to go here or you're going to go there. Mm. And so, you know, I, I have always looked at it. I've been extremely lucky with where I've ended up every time. And it really has been, been luck. Uh, but uh, it, it's been great, but I never intended to end up here. <laughs> no, no idea that I would become a wine expert or a busboy in a restaurant or uh, uh, an emergency manager. So, and, and I'm scared to find out where I'm going to end up next. You know? <laughs> I, know. I know. I mean, it's always an adventure with you. And I think that that's one of the things that make you uh, incredibly attractive to other people. Like people want to know you and they want to be around you. So I ask you about these defining moments because <laughs> people are curious, right? They want to know. I mean, you're sitting here and we haven't even gotten that deep yet, but you've just talked about being a guidance counselor, a wine expert, a bus boy, and an emergency management specialist. So um, you've been <laughs> around. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. But I think like, yeah, I think that that's really cool. And one of the things, Tom, that you've kind of like always brought and you always brought, like, at least to me in my life and the time that I got to spend with you was your sense of humor. Where do you think that came from? Because, well, uh, yeah, I just I love it. <laughs> that, that I can I can definitely uh, tell you where, where it comes from. Um, when when I was a child, we would play uh, we would go over to my grandmother's house. And my grandmother, great aunt, and, and mother would would play cards. And 
kibitz and and play word games and and taunt each other and had brilliant senses of humor and i i learned that if you cheated with them and let them know that you were cheating they would they would hurl all sorts of very humorous abuse at you <laughs> and um you know it was just again where does the party come from the the party came from my grandmother and great aunt who had brilliant senses of humor so it must have come from my great grandparents and worked its way down uh through through my mother and, you know, just as an example, uh, we, we had uh, April Fool's Day yesterday, and uh, in, in the family, April Fool's Day was legendary because of my mother. Okay. And you talk about pulling April Fool's pranks. One year, she got us all up, all six kids, and, oh, you, you need to get to school, and you're running late, and, and uh, look at the time, and all, you know, everyone's having this panic, oh, my God, look at the time and stuff, and we're trying to get lunches and, and stuff, and so mom gets us all out the, the door, and she said to, to my, my father, Phil, you know, the kids are late, you get them in the car, and away you go, so, so uh, everyone loads into the car and two get dropped off at the elementary and two at the junior high and two at the, the senior high and dad gets to work and there's no one there. <laughs> we get, get into the schoolyard and, and it's empty. So we get into the, into the school and the custodian is just like, what are you kids doing here so early? My mother had set every clock in the entire house ahead by one hour. Oh, so we were an hour early for and mom sat at home by herself having her morning coffee just going boy it's quiet around here isn't it nice <laughs> she like bought herself an extra hour she's a very smart lady <laughs> and the, another time we used to uh, put uh, 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 cinnamon and sugar on toast as kids oh and, mm -hmm. and the, the whole trick as you know as a kid is to, how much sugar can you get on the toast before mom realizes <laughs> that you're you're way overdoing it and stuff well this one year she was quite distracted uh by the goings-on and, and stuff and and she just left us with the the sugar and cinnamon and put the cinnamon on the toast and then we put the sugar and more sugar and now mom's not watching more sugar and, and stuff and take a bite out of it yuck mom and replace <laughs> the sugar with salt <laughs> just like, oh, she's just teaching you important lessons <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so oh my goodness that's amazing so mom, mom was a, a great uh, april fool's prankster there on the on the kids so that's where i get my sense of humor from and that's awesome i love it <laughs> so i mean you kind of alluded to this but you obviously never really thought you'd end up in hospitality and people people listening right now might be like okay ellie why you got this guy on <laughs> your hospitality <laughs> podcast <laughs> what's this all about where's the connection and this is how we're connected right so i think we should talk a little bit about this because this was crazy this whole story about how we came to work together so um where do we even start tom okay i want to start back at vines yep so yep. you had buddy number two so <laughs> yep. this was your second dog buddy yep um and he worked in the vines in the store with you and i remember that when people used to come in and they would get more than a few bottles of wine you would whistle the buddy you would run to the back you would grab a box <laughs> bring it out People were like, and people, so people would come into the rest. I knew about you before I even met you because people would come into the restaurant. They'd be like, have you seen that dog next door? He just like boxed up all my wine for me. And you were like the talk of, of the whole strip. Right. And so I was like, we need to know this guy. Right. Like, so of course we start coming over and getting to know you and you're helping us with wine. And it was so, it was such a fun time. Like, I feel like it was so long ago now, <laughs> but it was such a fun time and it was so exciting. And it was just everything we were, it was the Terwilliger original Joe's and the vines of Riverbend. So we were kind of like next door to each other on a little strip mall. And it was, everything was new. Like, do you remember yep. it, it was even just like um, a farmer's field <laughs> across the road, which is crazy to think about in Terwilliger <laughs> now, right? Now, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's wildly insane there. But what are, what do you remember about that experience about us first kind of getting to know each other and that time at Vines and, and what do you remember about that time for yourself? 
Well, it, it uh, was a big change for me. I'd been working in Vancouver uh, with a, a wine company and it had been bought out by a spirits company and it was, um, they tried to transition me into another another job instead of just the, the wine expert. They figured that uh, they were gonna promote spirits and I just didn't fit in with, with marketing. I was not good at it and, and stuff. And uh, so I was let go and I figured, well, it's time to move back to, to Edmonton. This is out in Vancouver and, and I missed Edmonton. So I talked to uh, David Gummer, who was part of my uh, wine group. I've had a wine group uh, going for about 40 years now, wow. just about 40 years. And um, uh, David and Brenda had joined the wine group uh, as my guest one time. And then when I left for Vancouver, they joined the wine group and, and they kept on going. So when I came back uh, and I'd heard from David uh, that, that uh, he was looking at opening up a wine shop. And I said, well, I'll, I'll, you know, if you want, I'll come and help you for a year. And so I ended up back at Edmonton and, and uh, started uh, helping put, put shelves together <laughs> in vines and, and uh, um, set up the, the store there. So right from the beginning, and uh, David said, I, I said to David, you know, I'm working long days here and I'm not going to leave Buddy at home if uh, I'm here all day, I got to be able to bring him down. So David, who was a dog owner, uh, you know, said, yeah, you, you bet you, you bring Buddy down. So uh, Buddy started coming down to the shop on a, on a regular basis. And I can remember the night before we opened, David phoned me and he said, um, look at everyone loves Buddy, the suppliers, the, the liquor inspectors, the, the neighbors all, all love Buddy and stuff. And he's so well behaved. So if you want to bring him down to the shop, that's okay with me. And so that was, that was it. Uh, Buddy got to come down uh, anytime I was working at Vines. And there was one day that David said, uh, uh, he took a case of wine out for a customer and he comes back and he says, you're a stupid dog. You know, he lies around and gets all the treats and gets all the attention. I'm doing the work and, and uh, you know, this, this is somehow not right being the owner. So, uh, you know, we, we should teach him how to do something. We get him a little cart that he could haul wine out, to the, out of the store or whatever. And anyways, I, I better get going. So he goes out the door and I thought about it and, you know, it's, quiet in the in the store at night and uh, buddy was pretty food motivated and play motivated so i thought oh let, let me try something here so i uh, did maybe half an hour work with him and and uh, uh he got the got the idea of what i wanted him to do so the next morning david and brenda come in we're yakking away and, and buddy is just lying by the by the till looking for attention and, and hanging out and a customer came in and, and uh, uh, bought a case of wine, brings it up to the till, and David starts to ring it in. And uh, David said to me, can you get a box from the back of the store? Because we kept all the, the spare boxes at the back. And I said to David, uh, you don't pay me enough to get spare boxes. Well, <laughs> right away, David knows I'm up to something. And, and he says, well, I'm the owner here. I can't get boxes. And I said, well, Brenda doesn't even work here. She can't get boxes. Who's left? And so we all looked down at Buddy and I said, Buddy. And he pops up and I said, go get me a box. And so he trots off all through the, the shelves and gets through the swinging door at the back of the store and you hear Russell, 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 and he comes out with his box in his mouth and goes right through all the shelves and right by the customer, right by Brenda, right by David, comes around, puts the box right at my feet, and he gets a treat. And the customer goes, oh, that's so cute. And Brenda goes, David came home last night and he said, oh, you know, and you've already got a, how long did it take you to do that and stuff? And, Brent, and David looks at me and he goes, the dog stays. You might get fired, but the dog stays. And, and that was it. That was, that was uh, Buddy's, Buddy's job was to get boxes from the back of the store. So we lined the boxes up in the back area side by side so that when he pulled one out, the tongue for the next one would come up so he could grab the, the tongue easily. Well, there was one time that customer came in and, and uh, we had some six bottle boxes. We, we put those up on the, on the shelves because you didn't want people to take them for moving. So we had them set aside. 
And uh, so this customer comes in and buys six pretty good bottles of wine. And, and uh, I knew that we didn't have any six bottle boxes on the floor. That's just the 12. So I start to the back to, to get a box. And one of my coworkers came out grinning from ear to ear. Just, you could see the smile and it's just like, okay. So I said, you know, would you like a box? And the customer, yeah. And I said, uh, buddy, go get me a box. So buddy jumps up and starts to the back. I said, hold it. And he stops. And I said, bring me a six bottle box, not a 12 bottle box. So buddy goes off and grabs the, the first box off the pile, which miraculously is somehow one of these six bottle boxes has moved its way down to the front of the line. So buddy comes back with the, the box and, and the customer, oh, that's so cute. That's so wonderful. Hold it. He can't really count, can he? <laughs> and I said, of course he can. And, and the customer goes, you got to be kidding. And I said, no, watch this. And I said, buddy, go get me a box. But this time, and buddy stops. I said, this time I need a 12 bottle box. Well, the next box is always a 12 bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes back with a 12 bottle box and oh, the customer God. goes, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. He can actually count. <laughs> and he goes out the door. And that's one of the few regrets I have in my life is I didn't tell the customer that this is all the setup. So even to this day, he's still going around telling people, yeah, the, the dog can count. He can tell the difference. Hey, <laughs> that's just, okay. <laughs> we keep like, on well, for years, literally for years, we would have customers coming in. Where's the dog that can count? And it's just like, he can't count. Tell the person who's telling that story that he can't count. He, he got written up in the newspaper. And yeah, oh so that, that was the, the uh, start there. And, and uh, yeah, it uh, uh, made a very nice experience for a lot of people. There was one lady that was very allergic to dogs and she'd still come in. And I'm going, why are you coming in? And she says, I just love the dog and I love the, the feel of the shop. And even if I do get to a reaction, it's, it, I still like it here. <laughs> so, <okay. Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, it was, it was really the, it was the talk of the neighborhood and it was, it was really cool. And so obviously, you know, things transpired, things changed and you found yourself not working at Vines. <laughs> and here's how I remember this. <clears throat> Chris came home to me one day and said, Tom's not working at Vines anymore. And I said, oh, I was like, okay. And he's like, I think, I think he should come work with us until he figures out what he wants to do. And I said, okay, well, what do you want him to do? And he was like, I don't know. I think you can figure, <laughs> you can figure that out. <laughs> So that's what I remember happening. And anyway, it was, it was so fun, Tom. I had so much fun with you. So we worked, we didn't work together at Terwilliger. We went to 102, right? Yep. Did we go downtown yep. right away? Yeah. Hey, yeah, we were yep. there. And, and so <laughs> tell, tell me what you remember about those first few days of that experience. And I'll share my memories with you too. <laughs> so it was so crazy. The, the the, the, the first thing is I had no idea what I was going to do. I was so broke. It was, you know, I was traveling right across the city to, to, to work at Vines and, and getting paid minimum wage. I, I just couldn't afford it and, and it used up all my savings. And I said I'd do it for a year. It was about two years. So I realized, you know, hey, it's time to, to, to move on. So what am I going to do? And, and it's one of those things if you don't force yourself. And so I, I gave notice to, to Vines that I, I had to, to look for something else. And uh, so I was broke, hungry, and, and no idea what to do. And around the corner comes Allie saying, hey, we hear that you're, you're no longer working at Vines. What are you going to do? And I was just like, I have no idea. Well, come and work with us. <laughs> and I said, doing what? Well, you'd be host at the, the front door downtown and, you know, you can greet customers and, and stuff and give you a chance to, to figure out what you want to do. And I said, what's this really involved? And Well, it'll be greeting customers and seating them on, on busy Friday, Saturday nights and then, uh, you know, running food and, and uh, you know, busing tables and, you know, helping around. And I said, oh, you want a busboy? And, and I remember you said, no, 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 this is much more than a busboy. I said, if I can't be busboy, I'm not going to do it. 
uh, I want to start to, you know, right at the bottom. So I'll be your bus boy. So, so that was it. You called it host. I called it bus boy. (laughs) That was it. And I can remember starting there and the staff were just great for this 50 year old man who had no idea what the restaurant industry is all about, had no experience whatsoever. Um, Heather had to show me how to hold a tray. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you had to learn it all from scratch. All from scratch and, and <laughs> stuff. And I was just like, okay. So so that that was it. And, you know, like any any new job, it's such a learning curve to, to mm-hmm. try to, to figure things out, especially when you, you can't relate at all. And uh, so it was, it was a challenge, but uh, the, the staff are great. And, and uh, uh, you, you figure it out as, as time goes on. <laughs> so, so we so. used to have so much fun because you'd walk in, I'd be like, okay, like you'd work Friday and Saturday, just nights. Yeah. And you were trying to figure out what else to do. And yeah. this is kind of how you ended up in emergency management, but that's a story for a few minutes yeah. down the road. But um, so you'd show up and I would, I would, quite often be working with you those nights and uh you would always have a new idea it was like you were like an inventor walking in the door (laughs) (laughs) and so it started with you used to crack so I remember you used to crack jokes to people waiting in line so they'd like come in and be like oh yeah I need a table for two and you'd be like okay table for six blah 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 and you just like totally take their do you remember doing that (laughs) totally take their information wrong and the girl would be like I'd be like don't worry he's got it (laughs) He, he hears you. He's just messing with you. I'm, I'm then, always messing with people. <laughs> and then it became like a thing, right? So then it was like buddy in vines, but then people started coming looking for you at the door. And if I was working the door on a Friday and you weren't there, people were not happy. <laughs> they were like, oh, this like blonde girl's here. I want Tom. What's going on? And then we got, I don't know if you remember patio season so I mean a lot of people that listen to this are hospitality people and patio season's insane right everybody wants to sit outside and then the wind blows and they want inside and it's back and forth and all over the place and people are waiting for tables and and so I think you you watched me get really frustrated with it and then you showed up with all the little toys <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> you want to share that story? I thought that was so funny when it happened. <laughs> sure. Well, I, you know, it's it, it's just one of those things where I, when I when I started there, and I I think this is one of the things that made OJ's special for me, is that I realized this is not where I want to be or should be, but it, it's where I am, and it's what you do with it, and so. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things is make the best of it that you can, and I I had this idea that I you know you're always looking at well I can I can try to be as good as someone else well that's okay but you need to start off by saying can you challenge yourself can you be better than yourself and so I was always looking at ways of doing it better doing a better job and and really taking pride in in what I was doing and. Um, uh, so it, it, it was, um, you know, just things like the washroom, like, okay, the washrooms are a mess in, in a bar, you know, so yeah. I, I, how do I make it better? How do, how do I make sure that I'm going in on a regular basis and wiping things down and keeping it clean and, and doing that on top of all the other, the other work. And so I challenged myself. And so I was always trying to, trying to make it either fun or, or a little bit better. And so I I forget what we were what we were using for letting people know that they're on the wait list to go on the patio, but um, you know it was sort of like, like a nothing. card <laughs> card or something like that, and I'm just going, Which this is mess. boring. And so I I buy one of these crash shots, and they've got all these little toys, you know, the plastic dinosaurs or. Uh, wind up toys and stuff and they were all cheap and it's just like oh so so I bought a whole bunch of these stupid toys wind up toys and and stuff and use that to to indicate that this table is on the on the waiting list so that people knew the the staff could just walk by table and go oh they're on the waiting list so I, I know that we'll 
we don't need to take a food order until they get outside or whatever, get a, a drink order and stuff. Well, it's all these stupid wind-up Tyrannosaurus Rexes and stuff. So here are all these people with these toys winding them up and yeah, they all loved across them. the time. And they, they loved, loved them. them. <laughs> they didn't want to give them back to us. <laughs> and so that was, you know, that was one of the things of taking taking something that was sort of routine that you have to do and making it into something that, that people enjoyed or would want to do. Yeah. And, and that was, that was part of the challenge of, of how do you do it? How do you do it better? To be frank, you know, sometimes these things don't work out, mm-hmm. but you'll never know unless you try. And, and um, I, I still use that aspect in my emergency management career when I'm teaching uh, courses and, and I'm, I'm becoming internationally recognized uh, for, for what I do and in the quality of my courses. And uh, I, I look at it and go, well, it's the same technique that I used at original Joe's <laughs> is try to do the best and, and take something that's not working. Don't try to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Try to fix the one thing that's not working and make it better. And then once you've done that, then move on to the, the next one. And, and once you've made that better, then move on to the, the next one. And all of a sudden, everyone's going, you're the best bus boy ever, which was <laughs> completely wrong. I don't know if you, you recall people saying, oh, Tom, you're the best. And I go, no, you're not. I'm not the best. And they go, who's the best? And I, and I say, I don't know, but I need to aspire to something better. So I'm the second best. And the restaurant business can be pretty stressful. If, mm-hmm. if it's not stressful, you're not in, in the right restaurant. Yeah. And, and so that was one of the things that uh, you, you always had to take with a, uh, an awareness is, is a lot of times people would get very stressed working in the restaurant or customers waiting in line. And, and again, it was one of those things of, okay, I'll try different techniques, which one works best to deal with that situation. So I remember one night, it was just a crazy Friday or Saturday night and we were packed, it was just swamped. And by that time I'd worked enough years that um, I, I could look around the restaurant and I could tell that server is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, if that server's in trouble, it was time to spend 10 minutes in the section running, you know, getting rid of plates or topping off water, just saying, what do you need? And after about 10 minutes, they, they got their, their feet under them again. And I'd take a step back, look at the front desk and, and okay, how's the lineup? How's the bar? Okay, who else is in trouble? Oh, that, that section over there. Go over there and see that they're in trouble. Okay, what, what can I do? Crash! And, you know, a, a tray of food has gone over and it's landed on customers. And it's just like, okay, that's where I'm going to be needed. And I'd head over and, and help up. And, you know, it's just like, you take care of the, the customers. I'll take care of the floor and, and stuff. And then you'd see the, the bartenders, you, you'd see all the chits coming up. And oh. I was, okay, it's, it's time to go help there. And I can remember at the end of the evening, getting a number of hugs from the staff, just going, you build me, you saved me and stuff. Oh. And, I'm, and you were just great. You were there all the time. And I'm going, I was there for 10 minutes out of a five hour shift, but that was the 10 minutes that you needed to be there. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things that I, I, I learned. And the same thing with the customers is what, you know, some a customer's upset, you know, what can I do to make it better? And sometimes you'd make a suggestion and it would not go over well. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're already upset, you know, it's not like it's gonna you know get worse upset you know they're, yeah. they're upset it, it is and, and so you'd figure out okay this is what it would take to to make the customer happy and and use those techniques for the next time around just speed it up so that was that was one of the things that I enjoyed is challenging myself the whole time is how can I make a shift better for everyone not just mm-hmm. for me but but for everyone and then if I got bored, if it was a quiet night, then I'd figure out how to give more abuse to the co-workers and how to drive them crazy and, and how, to, how to do a better job of that. You know, I, I became great at harassing my co-workers. I, I have to admit I was one of the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you can take the number one on that one for sure. Eventually you figure out, OK, what what's going to be the most help at, at the, the, the best time? Yeah. And uh yeah, it's one of those things is if if you're helpful and cheerful about it, you can get away with murder. 
<laughs> and you know what? That so sets you up for what you do now, right? Oh I mean, you're fully. I can't like, okay, first of all, I can't even imagine what you've gone through in the last year <laughs> in emergency management services. I can't even begin to fathom what your role has been like, but you have always handled stress so well. So I want to just talk just a little bit about stress and then we'll get into this new role. But how do you think, like, where did that come from for you managing stress like that? Do you feel stress and do you just, are you able to just kind of like roll through it or, or how does it happen for you, Tom? Um, you know, that one, I, I don't know. And I, I, I think it was part uh, uh, of just a chain of events. And again, it's one of those gradual things rather than a defining moment that yeah. you look back on it. And really it goes to my 30th birthday. I decided that, um, you know, I, I really don't know what life is going to bring and I, I don't want to get stale. So I decided on my 30th birthday that for the rest of my life, I would do one new thing every year. And the first thing I did was took a first aid course. Um, and I realized that I forgot it within a couple of months. So I took a course again, had a much better instructor the second time and then forgot everything again. And so I thought, well, I'll never remember this unless I start to use it on a regular basis. So I joined St. Johnny Ambulance as a volunteer and spent uh, probably near nearly a decade with them, became uh, superintendent of the, the North Shore Division in, in uh, North Vancouver, uh, eventually became part of the provincial bike team, ran the provincial bike team and uh, area commissioner. And I ended up on, on a lot of emergency scenes. And, and one of the things that I realized is, is that, um, you know, you need to, to be able to help out, but it's still someone's worst day in their life. Yeah. And there's only, only so much you can do. And so you have to have a, a, a very, uh, even, uh, temperament to, to just go, you know, I can only do so much. I can't rebuild your house for you. Here's what I can do. And, and I'll help out. And a lot of it was just listening to, to people. They, they wanted to tell their story and they weren't talking to you. They were trying to figure out for themselves. And so that that experience um, came over. I, by the time I got into Edmonton, I was uh, involved with the Amateur Radio Emergency Service in Edmonton and uh, again, helping out. And so going into Original Joe's to, to have a, uh, a plate of food crash the the floor and the entire restaurant go <clears throat> you know i'm just going you know no one's you guys dying. are crazy it's it's not that bad we'll we'll yeah. deal with it and and yeah. so um and and you know for a customer that got really upset it's just like i'm sorry but no one's dying and if if this is is uh your worst experience when when we're trying to fix it doing the best we can to, to fix it if you're still not going to be happy i'm sorry there's nothing that we can do yeah. uh, you know you just have to to accept it and and i think that attitude is very important for the customers to 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 see that you genuinely care you're genuinely doing your best and yet at the same time there's a limit we can't fix all your problems in life yeah. in in an interaction in a restaurant so um that that really helped out and and uh it it uh, doing something new every year for the rest of my life has has been one of the best experiences i i strongly recommend it for everyone um it doesn't require you to to make a major choice um and it's up to you what you feel like that particular year i don't pick it on january 1st i usually wait a few months and sort of think about it what would i like to do and um so and and one of the things i found is if you enjoy it keep on doing it and if you don't enjoy it you can say i tried it and i'll never do it again so uh just example i took uh, mandarin chinese 
and loved it, but I could not remember any words if my life depended on it. So I realized I will never be a Mandarin translator ever. <laughs> um, there, so I, I took it and said, this is not for me and, and stopped. Um, one year I did the West Coast Trail. Mm-hmm. And oh, that was uh, a real challenge. And, and uh, we went with a group of uh, eight people. Uh, I think six walked out with injuries on, on perfect <laughs> hiking conditions. And uh, yet having done it once, I thought, oh, I can do this by myself. And so I did it quite a number of times. I, I think I got up to seven or eight uh, times. And if you enjoy it, you keep on doing it. Now, this is the the other aspect is people would say to me, there's so many hiking trails around North America or in Alberta, you've got some great hiking trails up in the mountains. Why do you keep on doing the West Coast Trail? Well, this is a destination trail. If if you don't know about it, it, it is one of the best hiking trails in the world. And I was right in Vancouver, so to pop over to Vancouver Island and do it, it's right there. People travel from all over the world just the chance to do it once. Keep on doing it if you enjoy it. And I, I remember being on the trail and saying, at one point, one day, I will not be able to do this. And I don't want to ever say I had the chance and didn't do it when mm-hmm. I could because there will be a day that I know the chances will end. And, and so that's one of the things that I've really taken away with everything that I've, I've done, especially the one new project a year, is give yourself a challenge. Do, try something new. Try something that, that you might be interested in and, and find out if it works for you or not. And when you do it, if you like it, keep on doing it. But just realize, and, and here's, here's one of my... Um, uh, pieces of advice for everyone and it sounds like a real downer but it's not it's just everything ends you know uh, friendships end uh, a, a dog's life will eventually end your your career will end uh no, no matter whether it's good or bad it all ends and, and so if if you enjoy it enjoy it to the fullest and and realize one day it'll end on, on the other side. If, if things aren't working out, yeah, you know, life sucks sometimes. And, and yet I, you know, I can't fix that for you. I can't pull you out of your doldrums or, or out of your bad situation. All I can say is that all bad things eventually end too. So when you're, when you're going through life, uh, you know, enjoy it uh, while you can make the most out of it, get good at it. And <laughs> you never know where you're going to end up. And, and uh, so that was one of the things with original Joe's is, is uh, you know, I, I took great pride when I got the business cards that said busboy, because as far as I know, I'm the only busboy who's ever had business cards. You with sure original are. <laughs> <laughs> And I've got a couple of cards and I got them with, with pride. I've also got the 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 medal for the the Joe's star. I still have that and and have my original Joe's shirt and and again you know it it uh, it will end one day but that doesn't mean that the memories end and and the pride ends and it's uh, been one of the highlights of of my life. So uh, uh, with with any chance to to work in a restaurant, enjoy it to the fullest and mm. give the customers a rough time. <laughs> <laughs> Those are words of wisdom. That is amazing. I love it. (laughs) Well, you, uh, you're definitely, uh, yeah, you're touching my heart with all of that. It's so important. Just time can, uh, sneak away on you if you're not paying attention and, uh, we don't get those minutes back. What's, what's happening right now? What's in the future for you, Tom, where are you headed and what's happening in your life? Okay, well, I've been in emergency management uh, for going on 14 years now as as a career. I I, uh, got on with uh, the government of Alberta as a trainer in emergency management, and I I, um, stayed on at at Original Joe's for the first few years. Yeah. And and, uh, um, so I, I had two careers at the same time. But eventually, I just found that the work with the 
emergency management was getting to be too much and uh, the, the the strain was starting to show. So I had to pack it in with original Joe's and, and it's one of the one of the things that as I moved on within uh, emergency management and again trying to, to do a better job uh, and and a little bit of luck that uh, just after I started the the government um, when I applied for the job they said what experience do you have and I said oh, all those volunteer experience and they said well have you been in with the fire or the police or EMS? I said, no. Have you got a degree? And I said, no. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> why should we hire you? Well, I can bust tables. <laughs> so, so I used my volunteer experience. And so when I got hired, they uh, said, well, what other training have you got? And I said, I've got this incident command system out of British Columbia that's used in the United States. And they said, well, we don't even use that in Alberta. So what else have you got? Well, about, I don't know, six months, eight months after I joined, they said, we're going to move over to incident command. So who's got incident command training? And I put up my hand and, you know, a bunch of people put up their hands and they said, but, but who's got to the 400 level? Well, Vancouver was very gracious giving two spots to uh, volunteers on every course. So I had my 400 which is a fairly high level and, and uh, not as many hands up. And they said, but who's taught ICS? Well, I'd taught uh, ICS to the uh, amateur radio group when I came to Edmonton and I shouldn't have taught to them, but I, <laughs> I did. You did, yeah. As best I could. And then they said, but who's taught to the 400 level? Well, I, I had been asked to, to teach by uh, one of the emergency management providers that didn't have an instructor. They bailed at the last minute. And I shouldn't have said yes, but I said, yes, I can, I can teach. So I ended up teaching a course to senior emergency officials and got good reviews and, and stuff. So I taught two courses and uh, they said, so who's taught? And I, I went, I have. And they said to the 400 level and they went, yeah. And they're going, there's no one else with their hands up. I guess you're our ICS expert. And I'm, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's one of those fortuitous things. Like I, I didn't intend to, to, to try to con anyone. It was just like circumstance and the questions. And all of a sudden here I'm the ICS expert. So um, with the incident command system, it uh, started to roll out across Canada. Alberta funded some of the, the original um, uh, conversion to the all hazards world. And uh, Alberta got whole hog into it. And so I started doing train the trainers, at which point uh, I became the train the trainer instructor for Canada. Uh, at this point, there's probably about six to 700 instructors in Canada and I've taught over half of them. Wow. And um, again, trying to push myself, you don't compete against others, compete against yourself. And I said, I'll never know how good I am if I just keep on training within Alberta. And so I started to go down the United States and, and offer training in the United States and, and figuring out whether it was any good or not. And then I started to write, uh, write down about best practices and, and so on. And so now I'm, I'm pretty well considered the senior trainer in Canada. Uh, I know that people across North America are looking at, at uh, the writing and the videos that I've done on how to instruct ICS. I've had uh, American instructors come up specifically to take the, the courses that I, that, that I offer now. And uh, I, I know with ICS Canada, they say there's no one in the world doing what you do with instructor development. And so with that, my project, I, I'm, uh, in, in a bit of a quandary for 2021 on what I'm going to do, I, I uh, had a chance to go down to a handgun range for the first time ever last year and um, uh, fire off a handgun and had some fun with it. And it's not something that I want to own a handgun, but I, I figured for 2021, that'll be my project is to see how good I, I can get with a, with a handgun and then pack it in. It's not something I, I want to pursue for long term but have have fun for a year uh so 2022 for the first time ever i i know what i'm going to to do for the next 
project. And the next project is I want to present three distinctly different emergency management papers at three different conferences in three different locations outside of North America. And two of the papers I've already roughed out. Uh, I've presented a couple of times. One of them was called Groundbreaking. Um, no one in the world is, is, has done this before. So that one uh, I, I'd like to present down in Australia. The second one is Why Communications Fails in Disasters. And I presented that one a couple of times. Uh, South Dakota has asked me to come and present they saw it on on uh, one of the other conferences and said you know can you come down uh, so I want to fine-tune that one because that one is unique uh, in that every disaster report ever written says communication fails my argument is that every time you write down that communication fails in a disaster, that is actually a perfect example of a communication failure. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't tell you what went wrong, why it went wrong, how it went wrong, where it went wrong, when it went wrong. All you've said, and, and this is the exact equivalent, you've said something went wrong. Wow, you figured that out, something went wrong. And so I'm, I'm, um, I, I, I decided to, to go through and figure out, okay, so how many different ways does communication fail in disasters? And no one has done this before. And I'm, I'm sort of looking at the, are, are you kidding me? No one has done this. Everyone has sort of got this, you know, general idea of, well, it goes wrong. And then they go off on a tangent of one aspect or broad categories, but no one has actually set a Pantone list of here's the exact number of communication failures. So I did that. And again, no one has, has done that before. And, and uh, so I'd like to promote that a, a little bit. And then the last um, paper is again, very similar to the first two in that some of the most basic questions we're missing, like how do you set good objectives in, in a disaster? And so the third is why lessons learned aren't being learned there. But uh, yeah, so that's yeah. that's my goal for Crazy. 2022 is to be recognized as an expert in three different areas of emergency management that no one has ever tackled before, tackled well. That is so <laughs> cool. I love that. And I, I don't know if you make this connection, but as I've listened to you talk through this podcast, it's all your perspective, Tom. Like it's all your perspective and it's all your willingness to look at things through a different lens. And I think that that's beautiful. Like if more people could actually hear that message, <laughs> a lot of things would change, right? And, and also back to this, like we want it easy and simple. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Like we get everything now, we're on Zoom, we can talk now, we don't have to drive to each other. So we're kind of getting this like message ingrained into us almost a little too much because <laughs> the really the best things in life come when we work for them. Oh, you betcha. I believe so. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, and and um, again, you've heard me say this is challenge yourself. Like I'll, I'll take Austin, Austin Kfod, my, my uh, uh, latest dog for a walk. And I will ponder while we walk about, you know, where we're getting it wrong or how do we be do it better? Or what should I focus on and, and stuff? And that quiet time is, is critical. And, you know, in the, in the papers, people will go, oh my God, you know, that's so obvious. Well, that's because I pondered it for three years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, try, struggled the, the whole time to find out why I wasn't able to come up with an answer. Once I got the answer for myself, it, it seems obvious. And, and everyone goes, oh, that, you know, that that's so simple. And that's just like, that's three years of hard work. Yeah. It distilled down to the obvious that everyone should have known right from day one. So, uh, take take some time for yourself. Take take a walk with a dog, and think, and um, you'll be amazed how how much further you'll be ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Okay, so there's a lot of talk these days about spirit animals. 
big yes. thing still in the restaurant industry. We talk about it. Chris is my husband, Chris's spirit animal at the Edmonton International Airport in the departures <laughs> gate. You know, that weird running dinosaur that's like the Albertosaurus or something. Yep. That's his spirit animal. So just to give you an idea, he wanted me to ask you which one would be yours. Well, that, that's a simple one. It's the Hispaniola Solenodon. And it's the only venomous mammal in the world. Uh, we, we had a new employee come and join us in, in uh, my area of work. And, and we figured, uh, again, for some reason, I wanted to uh, harass the person the first day on the job. So we all agreed that we'd come up with the weirdest spirit animal that we possibly could. And, and so we all did research on the weird animal. I, I mean, and, and mine was the Hispaniola Selenodon. And as we go around, we said, you know, what's your spirit animal? And, and uh, Daniil said, oh, the, the grizzly bear. And the next person had this, this weird purple frog. And the, the next person had this obscure animal. And, and she said, oh, and I've even got a tattoo of it on my arm. Well, she had got me to draw a ink drawing on her arm, but he shows the tattoo. And Daniil is just going, what's with you people? So the Hispaniola Solenodon is the only venomous mammal in the world. Wow, and, and that's my spirit animal. <laughs> Perfect pick, Tom. And I should have never thought for one moment that you hadn't thought that through. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next. Okay. Um, off the cuff, what's your favorite joke to tell of all time? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so the, the problem with that one is it is exactly like what is your favorite wine? Mm. And having been a wine expert, um, you know, it really depends on who you're with and, and uh, what's going on. Yeah, there, there's no one favorite one. And, <laughs> and, and as far as the wine goes, the, my favorite wine is the one that someone else paid for. <laughs> Fair enough. Especially you wine experts, you guys are drinking expensive stuff. So, yeah. well, actually, so I, I think that works with jokes too. Is uh, my favorite joke is the one that the listener has to pay for, <laughs> and many people have paid for my jokes over the years. Oh, oh my god, oh Tom, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna pay for it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so last question is: uh, one day when you leave this earth, Tom. What do you hope people will remember about you? That I labeled all the pictures with the name of the person, the the date, and why that picture was important for me. Um, I'm going through my mother's and father's, grandmother's and great aunt's pictures. Um, and uh, it you see all these pictures of... of people and settings and there's no label there's no date there's there's nothing and so it it must have meant something to them because they've you you can tell some of the pictures they've absolutely treasured but there's no context or or any record and so that would be the 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 one one thing is that when you go through life take take some take some pictures and whether they're digital or with a, a an old camera, whatever, please take a couple of the best ones each year and put them aside, do a hard copy and label. This is why the picture was important, who was in it, when it was taken and why it was important to you. Because the people that come after you, your, your grandkids and, and great grandkids will always wonder. And, um, you know, I, I've got a picture of my great grandparents on the kitchen wall. I don't know them at all. It's the only picture we really have of them. And I wish that there was something on the back of the picture to say whether they had a good sense of humor or whether they were uh, terrible with kids or uh, whether they ever actually worked as a busboy. Because, you know, those are the things that um, really matter in life. Really matter in life. <laughs> So, so there you go. And uh, my my last uh, piece of advice: there is a fellow. Um, I, I forget the exact name. I think it was Pite Hine. He invented Lego, and he loved to do little poems. He had whole volumes of little funny poems, uh, like uh, "Shun advice at any price." That's what I call good advice. 
Man. Well, you've given us a lot of advice in this. I'm not sure if you're super aware of it. <laughs> you have given us a ton of advice. And I and like I'll say, you know, there's a pretty big cross section, I think, of people that listen to this podcast. Obviously, a lot of people that are connected to me through the hospitality industry, but people that are connected through uh, my leadership development programs and just through different different um industry. Yep. So in closing, what's one thought you'd like to leave after this conversation and kind of where it's rounded up? What would you like to say to the listeners? Um, when I left Vines and, and really didn't know what to do and really needed help, um, a couple of people came up and said, hey, would you like to work at a restaurant for us uh, on the front door? And um, one of the things was, uh, it was decided that busboy was a management position so that the managers would get, uh, one meal per shift. And I really needed that meal per shift. I, <laughs> I was, uh, uh, really in dire straits. And so the, the one thing I want people to remember is that the smallest thing that you do for people may never be recognized but how important it is to help people out so thank you Allie for a meal per shift when I really needed it well thank you for making my <laughs> life better <laughs> oh what a downer to, to, to finish <laughs> off and yet you know it, it it's one of the things and and I got that sense when when you said will you do this interview I'm, I'm going why the heck would you interview me and in, and in, you know in in the conversations about you had such a big impact and and we we enjoyed your company and we enjoyed having you around and stuff we don't understand how much of an impact we will have on other people and we don't understand how those small gestures can have big results and you know sometimes we focus too much on the grand gesture and oh you know we're going to go down to the food bank and you know donate all this or you know whatever um sometimes it's those little unspoken not even remembered things that had the biggest impact on other people so make sure you keep on doing good small things for people hey yeah. and uh, uh it it's always worth it well, that's a wrap, everyone. Another week of discovering hospitality and one more amazing guest on to share their beautiful stories. Thank you so much to all of you, our listeners, for your continued support. The success of this podcast is totally because of all of you, and to that I owe my deepest gratitude. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. And as always, don't forget to rate, leave a review, and subscribe to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And remember, the world is always made more beautiful by people like you. Don't ever forget it. Until next week, take care, everyone, and we'll see you then. <laughs>